0: Hi, my name is Pete Skuzura. I want to welcome you today to another edition of the Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast. And our theme today is Sharpen Your Decision-Making, Part 2, Consolations and Desolations. Now, my aim in this three-part podcast is to bring you into a level 201 of discerning the voice of God. And uh, so we talked about last week, how or two weeks ago, that it's incredible that you have been given sealed orders, orders just like I have. In other words, orders from God for your purpose here on earth. You've been given power, authority, gifts, time, energy, experience, a calling. And like Jesus, you have a deep destiny. And so in part one, I sought to lay a foundation from the life of Jesus about how we all experience temptations and testings uh, from the evil one to seduce us. Uh, to get off track in the decisions that we make it comes to all of us but god's sovereign over all of that and there are boundaries uh, to the exercise of our god-given power and that's the work of discernment and so as with jesus we are tested we see that in the uh, tradition of the hebrews that uh, we're proven by testing. We see in Abraham how God tested him, in Exodus 16 with God tested the Israelites, and even Job. And it's meant to discipline us, to mature us, to humble us so that God can bestow on us further revelation for the long term. But there is a, a reality of a warfare that goes on around us and an evil one who seeks to get us to to twist what Jesus has for us. And to get us to ignore the boundaries of our relationship with God. So again, this is all about a relationship that you have and I have with the, uh, with the Lord God of the universe. We're sons and daughters, uh, and we follow Jesus wherever He goes and wherever He wants to take us. And so our work is one of listening. That's our life work. We listen and we follow Jesus. We make decisions all the time, and this is a serious work. and And so our goal here is to sharpen that process of decision-making. So, just a quick overview of the essentials of discerning God's will. I'm not going to touch on all of these in this three-part podcast on sharpening our decision-making, but it's just nice to have that big picture, and I was asked about it recently, uh, and I would say there are six essentials uh, of discerning God's will. One is there's the place of Scripture, of course, uh, that we we want to be immersed in God's heart and thoughts. So, for example— God says love your enemies you know god speaks about integrity and honesty and so that scripture guides us and and leads us at the same time second essential is that we are surrendered to god in other words on a scale of one to ten we are we want to be a ten of open to wherever god takes us we we come to discernment or asking for help in making decisions we need to be totally open to whatever god has for us uh, so with that our lives are reoriented around whatever his purpose might be, wherever he wants to take us. A third essential is that we're growing. Uh, we're growing in our relationship with Jesus and abiding in him in deep communion with this risen Lord. It's not a head exercise. It's a communion with a person. And that's why we talk so much about in this podcast about daily offices and silence and a rule of life and Sabbath, etc., so a fourth key essential is that the place of wise counsel. And we see that in scripture and places like uh, Rehoboam and, and Solomon's son and did not get good counsel and how important it is to get good counsel. Then there's a the place of consolations and desolations. I'm going to talk about that today. And then finally, there's the place of waiting. And that'll be the next part three and final podcast on decision making. So before i begin let me invite you again to send in questions around decision making that you're facing uh i got already a number of excellent questions in specific contexts uh, that you've sent in i want to encourage you to do it again after this podcast and i will integrate them uh into our part three of the uh, of this little series here and to uh, so just send them to askpete at emotionallyhealthy.org that's AskPete at emotionallyhealthy.org. Send those questions, and it's so helpful with as much detail as possible. And then secondly, I want to encourage you to uh, create spaciousness in your life and to access, if you've never done the personal assessment, uh, which how emotionally mature you, it tell, it basically is a great help as well to discern how much spaciousness you have in your life, to be able to listen and discern. And you might, I want to encourage you to take that little 15-minute assessment. At emotionallyhealthy.org/mature, uh, it's a powerful diagnosis because one of the themes which you'll see in this little series here is we need spaciousness to be able to listen. So again, that's emotionallyhealthy.org/mature. Okay, now let's dive into uh, today's theme, which is sharpen your decision making: consolations and desolations. So uh, this is so important. In fact, this was a game changer for me in my own journey with Jesus, which I grew into gradually over time. It actually began for me as I got into this emotionally healthy discipleship journey uh, decades ago, and I began to actually feel and be a human being. And that began to raise the question for me is, how do I integrate what's going on on the inside of me to what God is saying to me to do on the outside? And uh, then it eventually led me to uh, engaging on the spiritual practices of silence and stillness and the contemplative tradition, the whole stream outside of my stream and our stream of most of our listeners here, the Protestant stream, and began to and draw and learn from the riches of uh, monastic spirituality. In some ways, I realized so much of my biblical knowledge was in my head, but it hadn't come alive in my practices and one of the keys was how God speaks from the inside out. And so I began to learn from, again, thousands of 2,000 years of church history. And uh, so, uh, for example, how, how do we make decisions? I began raising questions. How do I know as a leader what priorities to set? Uh, in fact, we're going into a two-day strategic planning uh, as a ministry of emotionally healthy discipleship in a couple of weeks. And part of my discernment has been in these weeks, what's God's priority for us to talk about in those two days? I mean, there are questions that come up in our decision-making like, how do I work with my supervisor? How do I work with those who report to me? How do I lead this board meeting or participate in this board meeting? How much do I speak and not speak? Or do I have that difficult conversation with a certain person now? Or do I wait till later? Do I release this person to be a, a leader or a key volunteer? Do I hire this person? Uh, how do I use my time and my gifts in this season of my life? What do I put my focus on? Uh, do I say yes to these opportunities or this new opportunity that's presenting itself to me? And then you get so many other questions that aren't necessarily right or wrong in the Bible, but they may be they're right or wrong for you. So how do I invest my finances? And do I move right now? Uh, where do I move? Uh, how do I sort out my friendships? And if you're, do I marry? Do I remain single? Uh, I saw some an article or, or, or watching some pictures of refugees uh, crossing the Mediterranean, trying to get into Europe. And I look at pictures of folks coming from the Latin America and Central America trying to get into the United States, and my heart gets so moved. And so I say, Lord, uh, what do I do with this? And uh, do I shift my life? And again, we're, we're exposed to so many needs and opportunities. How do I know, God, what you're saying to me? And so that's why this issue of consolations and desolations is so important. So let me just provide a little bit of biblical background here before I dive into the specifics. In each of the Gospels, we see John the Baptist saying this, I baptize you with water, but there's one coming after me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In fact, that's why the Messiah has come. And so the great miracle of of the Gospel is we turn to Jesus, we receive him as Savior, as Lord. He cleanses our, forgive, our sins, and then he comes to live inside of us by the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is introduced uh, by John the Baptist as both the Lamb of God and the Baptizer in the Holy Spirit. In other words, that God wants to dwell with us and inside of us by the Holy Spirit in such a powerful way that the only way to describe it is like a baptism. It's a a drenching, it's a soaking, it's a saturating. He deluges us, he he, he swamps us with the Holy Spirit. Now, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit anointed prophets, priests, and kings primarily for temporary tasks, uh, and again, only certain people. The Spirit came from the outside upon them in pentecost something happens amazing in the in acts chapter 2 as peter explains he goes in the last days uh i will pour out my he quotes joel chapter 2 i'll pour out my spirit on all flesh not just a selected few and he, he lists sons and daughters shall prophesy young men shall see visions old men will dream dreams even my slaves both men and women I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. And so he's picking up on Jesus's words in John 14 as well, not just the prophecy in Joel in the Old Testament about the Messiah, that uh, Jesus said, I'm going to ask the Father. and He's going to send you an advocate to be with you, the spirit of truth. And he says, the spirit will be with you and will be in you. That's the key preposition, with you and in you. He'll be a friend whispering in your ear, a counselor, a comforter, an encourager but he's not just gonna be alongside you, he's gonna be inside of you. That's the distinction Jesus wants to bring out. That's the miracle of Pentecost. It's, it's, the, it's the fulfillment of John 14, 23, where Jesus says, we will come to you and make our home with you. The God of the universe actually making his home inside human beings. I want you to just sit with that for a minute. It's hard to believe that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would move in to stay with us that's Pentecost. That's why Pentecost is such a revolutionary truth. Sadly, is so often we live as if, oh, I'm an orphan, and not really realizing that it's God who's living inside of us. And for a, again, the first 17 years of my Christian life, even though I had I understood this theologically, I really didn't walk it out practically. I didn't much greater emphasis on God speaking the Holy Spirit from the outside to me, because I had this misapplied, I'll call it faulty theology, that nothing good dwells inside of me. Uh, You know, Jeremiah 17, 9 and and Romans 8, and me dwelleth no good thing. The heart is desperately wicked and deceitful. Who can know it? And so I didn't want to trust God inside of me. I just thought I'm such a sinner. And so it had to be coming from the outside. And that was a real biblical imbalance. And so it was this journey of E.H. discipleship and beginning to learn from traditions outside of my own where I began to realize, oh, there's, there's a couple thousand years of history on this, listening to God from the inside out, Pentecost, Jesus' words in John 14. And no one's done more helpful work uh, in discerning God's will for our lives uh, from the inside out than Ignatius of Loyola in the 1500s. He's the founder of the Jesuits. And his work has lasted 500 years in talking about the balance of feelings and reason and the important place of our emotions and inner person in sorting out what's God's will, what's he saying to us. And his key verse was First John 4.1, Dear friends, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, Ignatius, and I encourage you to study and greed uh, of Ignatius' uh, spirituality, especially on discernment. There's so much to learn there. But he assumed a climate of that you are completely, you're under Scripture, we're we're obeying Scripture, and then secondly, that we're uh, surrendered to do God's will, wherever it may lead us, that I'm open, Uh, and that you're growing your experience of your relationship with Jesus. And so consolations and desolations were the words he used, and it's very helpful. Consolations and desolations have to do with our basic life direction, either towards God or away from God. Think of it as movement uh, towards God and movement away from God. And that's that's the core task of discovering God's will, to pay attention to God's love for us and where he's leading us. Now, we can't trust our feelings totally. They can't be blindly followed. They have to be discerned. And that's an art. And what appears initially as complex or could be complex becomes easier with time uh, because everyone has consolations and desolations. It's part of being a human being. You feel. uh, It means that you're alive. And part of God's will is to take into consideration what are you trying to tell me by what I'm feeling on the inside. And God gave us feelings to reveal himself to us and his will uh, to us through the Holy Spirit inside of us. So Let's talk about consolations first. Consolations are the name given to those feelings that come as gifts of God's gracious presence. In other words, a sense of peace descends on us, a sense of joy and love and delight. We feel life pulsating through our veins. Our soul is inflamed with the with with love of God, with love for God and love of God. And our souls are light up, light up as we turn towards Him. Something comes alive inside of us—the presence of God. Now it can be something as uh, simple or dynamic as we have tears or anger at personal or social injustices. Um, We're praying and we're praying for someone or something and our body begins to just, you know, come alive and and, and we're going to experience feelings in our body. This renewed energy, often a release of anxiety, a sense of relaxation and peace. And often an experience of consolation is a good indication that we're in line with God's will. And we see that, for example, in that very famous movie, Chariots of Fire, when Eric Liddell, uh, he's under pressure from his sister, uh, not to be a missionary in China, and uh, I mean, I mean he, he's under pressure from his sister not to be an Olympic runner, but he loves running. His sister wants him to go now to China to be a missionary, but he, he recognizes God put in his heart this desire to run, and he writes, he says this to his sister, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. It's a lovely example uh, of a consolation's Uh, I I have a good friend who was in in the music industry, and just when he he writes music and performs, just senses God's pleasure again, joy, consolation. Uh, Another friend of mine, an engineer who, when it gets to working on uh, buildings and facilities and architects and that aspect of of work, again, whether it's directly in the church or outside the church, he just has this great sense of consolation, joy, delight. Again, it might be a youth, a youth pastor. I remember, you know, each youth person I've worked with and a director or a pastor working with youth, they can't imagine doing anything else uh, because of the joy of in that work of working with young people. I know for me, writing, again, not writing all the time, but writing is something I cannot not do. In other words, there's times it just comes from the inside out. I just must create space and time. To write, I've even had times where I was in a, a difficult spot. And I call it I was in a dark night of the soul. But I felt consolation. In other words, uh, it was in the middle of a you know a split in our Spanish congregation at the time. I can remember it so clearly, and I, it was actually partly my fault. I mean, I it was part of the responsibility, and things were unraveling around me externally. Uh, there was disturbance on the surface of my life, uh, and in some ways, I was in a dark night. At the same time. In my inside, I had a peace because I knew God was doing something. I had consolation of like, stay the course, be faithful, and uh, it's going to be okay. And uh, so that's consolation. Now let's talk about desolation for a moment. Desolation are the, the name given to those feelings when you turn away from God. Uh, it includes, as Ignatius describes it, darkness of soul, turmoil within, disquiet, Okay, it's, we become more preoccupied or more negative. We get anxiety. We maybe get a mild depression, irritable. This is kind of a downward spiral uh, into death, a spiritual turbulence. If you think of an airplane, there's turbulence. All ch- One's all churned up on the inside. And again, very often, not always, but often our bodies are ahead of us and uh, our energy feels sapped. We feel a tightness. Our stomach is tight. Our headaches are, developed our back is tensed up and our bodies often know instinctively uh, when we're not in line with God and we're making poor choices when we're going when we're going in a direction that's maybe contrary to God's desire for us and so sometimes desolation can be a nudge or God prodding us to a better choice I I wonder often about Paul in 2 Corinthians 2 he, he, he Paul writes this, When I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, I found the Lord had opened a door for me, but I had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went off to Macedonia. So it's interesting. uh, He had no peace of mind. So he had a desolation and 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 he made a different choice. He moved to Europe. Uh, you know, it's interesting, I, um, Nehemiah had a similar experience. You know, Nehemiah, if you remember, was a cupbearer to the king living 700 miles away from um, Israel at the time. And he hears about the walls being broken down in Nehemiah chapter 1, and he begins to, to cry, and he gets angry at the injustice of the state of God's people. And he's so moved. He has such desolation inside of him. Uh, he recognizes that what's happening inside of him is God. And these are feelings of God's gracious presence, and something comes alive in him, and he gets permission to travel back and to uh, Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. Listen, I know desolation when uh, I have been, I mentioned earlier, I I can feel very much called to write, and I do feel it's a part of my life, but I've had times when it's been real desolation. When when I have pressure, I've said yes uh, to a deadline, that all of a sudden, what became, what was a joy becomes a burden. And I have a growing, sometimes I, I said yes to too many projects and I've got a desolation of too much to do in too little time. And I am I'm overloaded and I, it's, it's a moment to pause and get reoriented. Whenever I've done too much executive leadership, now I, you know, I'm a leader. I've got some executive gifts and skills, but When I go over what God has given me to do and I'm in too many meetings, uh, I experience death. I have to drag myself to the meetings because there's a large part of me that's artistic uh, and needs space, lots of space to be with God and to create. So again, sometimes desolation is a warning that something's off one of my best examples, I remember when we were buying a building when I was lead pastor of our church, and we were waiting on this one particular building that we felt was God. And then another, and, and it looked like we lost that building, and another building came up in a different location that was bigger, it was cheaper, and had a great parking lot, which in New York City is worth a lot. And we could have grown a lot bigger in that facility because of the parking situation. And it looked like we should do it. Uh, However, I remember the board, including myself, none of us had any sense of consolation. We all had desolation about moving there. Life drained out of us. We did the research. We had a team. We were crunching the numbers. We tried to make it fit, but the desolation overrode our decision. And we didn't take it, and then God eventually brought that other building back. But it was a great example of paying attention, even corporately, to desolation as a board uh again what what and i've had moments where I, I in a desolation where jerry and i had too much going on or we weren't giving the kind of time investment our marriage needed and desolation began to creeps in and we've got to make an adjustment and respond to that so that we've got space to cultivate a marriage that's a sign and wonder to god it's interesting even traveling and speaking externally i do do that anymore, but I, for a number of years, before I actually stopped traveling and speaking, um, I would have such a desolation internally about getting on an airplane. And there was no logical reason for it. I just had such desolation Uh, and even came to a place where even speaking at large venues, which you would think you'd want to do for a variety of good reasons, I had increased desolation over a period of time where I realized, oh, God is saying something to me very clearly. Oh, again, the question is, God, what are you trying to tell me through what's going on inside of me? Consolations and desolations. Now, again, consolations are not always God and desolations are not always not God. That's why there's a need for spiritual direction and companions to help us discern. Because our capacity for self-deception is so great, we're not islands. Listen, I've seen people have great quote consolation getting into prayer and and the spirit, and they're they're so oh this feels so amazing, and then it fosters pride, and they ignore loving people, and get exclusive, and uh, maybe ignore their marriage and family, and it takes them down a the wrong road. Uh, a person can sometimes be disobedient to God and feel great about it. Uh, I, I've seen people have affairs and say. Uh, I feel God's presence, and, you know, it's like they're they're off base here. They're not they need direction from a spiritual director or a, a, a wise companion. You can hire a person cuz it feels so great to hire them. They just showed up and it was a perfect fit because now you've got less pressure of waiting and you've got less work to do because they're doing the work. But actually they needed some you needed some wisdom uh and some direction from somebody more mature before you just jumped into that. Listen, I wanted to quit I can't tell you how many times over my 26 years of being lead pastor uh, at our church. Uh, Why? Because I felt desolation. And some of us act on that too quickly. I don't know too many leaders uh, who have not wanted to quit at one time or another when things were really difficult. It happens to everyone. It happened to Moses. Uh, But I realized God was working in me and on me in it. And so even that desolation... Didn't mean it was God saying, get out, Pete, and go do something. Go sell insurance. Go make a few dollars on Wall Street. Uh, and so, again, that's why it's so important to have some wise companion, some spiritual authority around you. Listen, when I have to go and make, have a difficult conversation and assert myself, I'm, I've been an appeaser my whole life. Who want? I don't like conflict. Uh, but again, true peacemaking is having difficult conversations, not pretending that something is right when it's not. And uh, so I may have desolation to go have a difficult conversation, have to prepare myself well, but I know it's God and I I move through it. So again, if you're not a feeler at all, if you don't even do feelings very well, uh, listen, you're missing large chunks of God's will for your life speaking to you. That's why becoming aware of your interior, of your feelings is so indispensable to being a good discerner of what's God saying and doing. Uh, you're dangerous without it, and that's why again it's the integration of emotional health and uh, a slow down spirituality. They both go together, and uh, and both are needed. So you're going to want to make sure you, you you dive into things like explore the iceberg that comes out of the emotionally healthy relationships course, uh, and, and and grow in both emotional health and spiritual maturity. So uh, again, I'm, I'm going to give you I'm going to do two case, two case studies that I got in the mail. I got a whole lot. Uh, from last week. And again, I want to encourage you send your questions specifically about discerning of God, discernment of God's will because it's so helpful. That, as I'm going to touch on a few things in our remaining moments here today, so just send it to askpete at emotionallyhealthy.org. That's askpete at emotionallyhealthy.org. Send me some questions related to decisions you've got to be making. Be as specific as possible. Uh, and then again, do a little inventory of how much spaciousness. Do you have in your life to actually discern and listen, and uh, go to emotionallyhealthy.org/mature. It's a little 15 minutes free. Uh, it's a powerful diagnostic tool about your emotional and spiritual maturity. But I would take it and get a sense of how much space do you actually have to listen. All right, let me do two questions here before we close our time together today. The first, I'm going to call this person Joe. Writes to him and he goes, you know, hi Pete. And he's a a full-time campus minister at a university, uh, along with uh, 17 other staff. And uh, he writes this. He goes, Pete, the lead evangelist and the man who formerly disciples me are among those who believe that more and more faster fruit means that we're healthy. We're a healthy church. He goes, I'm a go-getter. I'm an Enneagram 8. I'm a radical stallion awaiting new adventures with God and making as many disciples as I can. But now we've been entrusted with the campus, and I want to find new uh, ways to continue evangelizing and making disciples. I don't want to exasperate or burn out my leaders. And a few days ago, my disciples said that we should have at least 25 Bible studies with the lost and more by the beginning of the semester, but I disagree. What's your advice? Thanks. Hope you're well. Respectfully. I'll call him Joe. Great, great example. And again, there's more to this email than that, but that's a summary of it. And I said, well, first of all, so the person who discipled you and your supervisor, uh, you know, is asking you to do something which, for you on the inside, is saying, "Whoa, that's I disagree. It's way too much." And I would say you want to listen to God speaking to you from the inside. Now, Joe had written in his email he's begun to dig into silence and stillness and solitude in whole emotionally discipleship journey, and that that desolation of the idea of going in that direction of 25 Bible studies before the semester even starts, that desolation, I would say to you, is a good indication. That is from God for you. Now, there's larger issues at play here going on. Uh, You're under authority. Uh, This person discipled you. At the same time, each person has a spiritual journey that's different, has unique sealed orders. Uh, We're not all the same. Now, Again, I don't know your situation, but I would encourage you to One, you want to get alone with God uh, and really listen to the Holy Spirit inside of you about how much you sense you want to do or can do with your capacity. Uh, You mentioned you're recently married. In light of your marriage, you want to lead out of your marriage. And then I would encourage you to have a conversation directly with your discipler who's asking you to do uh, 25, at least, Bible studies before the semester begins and begin to talk about what fits you and why, uh, and, uh, but I would first listen to God on the inside of you about your capacity and pace. That's what I would do. And what are your unique sealed orders at this season of your journey? Now, the second case study comes from a, a person from the marketplace in Oklahoma. And uh, he writes, he goes, I work as an executive in a for-profit marketplace situations, and we try to steward our business in a kingdom first way. And uh, we often feel more like a nonprofit than a business. And he goes, my title is Chief Culture Officer. Uh, I oversee all hiring, recruiting, HR, people operations, et cetera. And the problem is I'm struggling on how to scale what I'm doing, how to multiply myself. As we've gotten increasingly larger with over 100 employees and $150 million in revenue, my question is, how do you teach discernment? How do you multiply something you feel is so intuitive and Natural. Any tips or advice would be appreciated and cherished. Thanks for your ministry, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Cheers. First of all, what a blessing to be in that kind of a marketplace situation. And I want to affirm your consolation that God puts you in such an environment, and that you're in consolation. You're excited to scale it. That's amazing. Uh, now, if I can just serve as your spiritual director for a moment, I would say to you this: uh, Scripture first, which is this. We learn from Jesus and the twelve. Uh, he had the three, the 12, the 70, uh, and he scaled really slowly. Uh, it was a mustard seed. Uh, it came out of you know, teaching the disciples to know themselves in their inner journey. And so you want to, again, you're, you're working in a business context, but you are not in a Western business model. You're in the new family of Jesus. And so you're coming from a whole different upside down value. And so I would encourage you, one, I, I think you want to go slow. Uh, I would encourage you to get into the Emotionally Healthy Relationships, uh, which is part two of the Discipleship course, and look at community temperature reading, genogram, ladder of integrity, integrity explore the iceberg. Those kinds of skills are going to be key to begin to cultivate a few people that can begin to learn discernment, which sounds like what you've learned quite well. Begin to note your lessons, train them, but you're going to go slow in this thing. I think your consolation is wonderful, uh, but you want to go slow in this thing. Because if you go too fast, uh, you're going to find yourself in a bit of trouble. If Jesus couldn't reproduce discerning leaders quickly, you can be sure we will not as well. All right. Thank you, everybody. It's been so good to be with you. Blessings to you. I pray you have a wonderful, wonderful day. And may God give you grace to sharpen your decision-making the glory of his name and the advancement of his mission in the world. Blessings.